calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What will be here? Episode 9, Countdown to Launch. Content warnings for this episode include swearing, grief, and discussion of death. See the show notes for more details and a link to the transcript. start this. Um, <laughs> Jules, I... <laughs> I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna... can't do this. <laughs> oh, God damn, I didn't really thought I had it this time. <laughs> I need to... I need to say something. It's... It's what Jules would want. It's, she wants to keep going on with <laughs> without her. Go oh, fuck. <laughs> I I figured out what I want to say and no no I can't do this now. I... 
lose things a lot. But I also fix things a lot. And I, I can't fix this. I can't bring Jules back. <sighs> A central tenet of the universe is that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Energy is never really lost, only transferred into new forms, gaining entropy along the way. <clears throat> Materials are used, scraped, melted, and used again until they're thrown away in a landfill for good. Plants grow, decay, and fertilize the dirt where new plants then grow. We'll all end up in the ground someday too. <laughs> the circle of life dictates that death is a requirement. The molecules of life are shared among the living and when our time comes, we'll pass them along again. We might die, but our energy doesn't die with us. It sails across space and time forever. But things are lost, even when they're not lost. And there is an emptiness left behind when people die. A gaping hole remaining where they could be living their life, a, a list of things that will never happen, of, of milestones they'll never be reached and we feel the weight of those missing things. There is a hole. I have a hole. A hole full of what ifs should-haves and will-nots that sits heavy on my heart. Jules, I can't stop thinking about all the things we will never do together. The universe is taking a left-hand turn into a reality that feels it feels so unfair. I fucking miss you. 
And it's so goddamn unfair. You... You should be here telling me off for swearing in the vents. But you're not. <sighs> At least your energy carries on all the things that all the things that were you, your hope, and your optimism, your smile and your brightness, your drive for for exploration and creation, they're still here. Yeah, they're still here whizzing around the universe and a slightly more chaotic, but still deeply and fantastically brilliant form. When I ask myself what will be here, I know parts of you will be. And when I die, I know I'll still be here too, in a way. But until then, I like to think there's a part of you in the air I breathe, and the sights I see, and the things I build. Little molecules there, making it all better. Just like you made me better. Death. Death is complicated. Chemically, it's actually rather simple. We just stop. The pressure leaves our blood vessels and our brain loses its charge and we just stop. Totally and permanently. It's the only universal constant for each and every single human being on this planet. It's been with us since before we had the mental faculties to understand what it is. And it will be the very last thing someone experiences when Savannah inevitably gets around to killing off everyone on this planet. But death from all the other perspectives is complicated. From a spiritual view, it's complicated. With regards to having a sense of self, it's complicated. Hell, the very fact of knowing other people has made it complicated. So we try to understand it. We do our best. But it's not really possible. What's beyond the veil is impossible to know, and that scares us. So we tell stories to comfort ourselves. Someone once suggested that the primal source of all religion is an effort to understand death. A person is alive, and then they aren't. When you don't understand brain processes and complex medicine, 
you guess. They go into another world. They return to the earth. They become more of themselves. They become a lump of flesh. And from there, we expanded. Let's start with death itself. Or himself. Or herself, less often. We've been personifying death for a while, and the different images can get a bit blurred sometimes. As religions spread and evolved, death crossed borders, took new names without changing much, or changed a lot without changing its name at all. Most traditions have some sort of death deity. Astwihad, Thanatos, Baron Samedi, King Yama, Saja, Maweth. Sometimes these are well-defined beings with complex stories and a rulebook of operation. Others are more of a general idea of death, just that which takes people from life on behalf of another being. It shouldn't be that surprising, given that half of the death deities are just called death in their respective languages. Sometimes there's a group of beings that handle you after you've died where judgment happens, usually. In the Egyptian tradition, you went to court and had your whole life judged by the weight of your own heart against the feather of truth in front of Osiris. And then you got to spend eternity in his afterlife. Or you failed, and got eaten by a man-eating demon and wound up totally dead, in every sense of the word. A lot of belief systems don't exactly kill you, though. You have options, sort of. You can experience a sort of eternal bliss, but don't ask me to explain what that means because no one actually knows, and there have been so many wildly different interpretations over the years. You can also be tormented for the rest of time, as punishment for what you did during your life. Or you can live again. Hindu tradition says you are born again into the world after death, into circumstances that depend on your past life. It's a cyclical thing. You live, you die, you live, you die, until you reach some sort of enlightened state that allows you to exit this cycle. I don't think Jules got there in the end. Of course, what happens after we die is unknown. And it's not something we can ever know, until we're dead. And there's no reporting back from that. But we sure do feel it. There's one school of thought that doesn't care about what happens after you die. After all, you'll be dead. You won't have any opinions on the matter. Everyone near you will, though. Everyone in your life will be affected by your death, and that's really what death is. It's where we get all these stories from. It's not an individual, it's their society trying to reckon with the void that is now within their midst. It's mourning, grief, loneliness. So we created traditions for the dead to help us through that. Usually, that has something to do with the body. The body has to be disposed of, somehow. 
Usually, how that happens depends on the environment a person is living in. Burying the dead is probably the most popular method. The body decomposes and doesn't take up space. Of course, when you bury all of your dead in the same place and stick some sort of rock on top of it, you do end up taking up space. Especially if you decide to make a big, elaborate building to hold the body and the memories of the person until the end of time. When there isn't as much space, we burn bodies to have their ashes scattered. Sometimes bodies are just tucked out of the way, like in a cave or a coffin hanging from a cliff. Some consider the body an empty shell that has nothing to do with the person anymore and leave it to be eaten by wild animals. But oftentimes there's a big ceremony with special practices and rituals for the deceased. We don't have Jules's body, so that makes their funeral complicated. Closed casket services have long been used to hold funerals for those who are not able to be presented, but I'm not really sure we can do that here. We could hold a memorial service, but I don't know, that feels wrong. Jules gave herself up so that we could get away, and I feel like I owe her something more than that. As a species, we're surprisingly willing to embrace death on behalf of others. Sure, you've got your famous martyrs, Jesus, Marat, Hus. Then you have the countless soldiers who go off to fight and die for a cause dictated by someone else. And then there's the people who die to make the world a better place. The people who work themselves to death to provide for their family. The people who take a bullet to keep another person alive. The people who walk off into the wilderness so they don't take valuable resources from the group. That was Jules, in the end. She sacrificed herself so that we could finish this project of hers. And we've got to finish it before Savannah decides that our funerals need be nothing more than a checkbox being ticked. Funerals in the underground tend to be happy, compared to most. A massive cloud of fear looms over us, and we try our best to celebrate the person's life for what it was, not for the emptiness that remains. That emptiness sets in after a few days, a few weeks. That's when we have funerals, that is. Usually when someone dies down here, they're old, and they die of natural or environmental causes. They have a life that can be celebrated without drawing attention to ourselves. But for some, more now, they don't die. They disappear into the shadows of Savannah. Or their spirit dies, and the empty shell of a person returns. What do you even do when that happens? Funerals have a finality to them. They're the grand means of closure and passing. But if someone might not be dead, how long do you wait? Do you wait until they'd likely be dead anyway? 
until people start forgetting them? Or do you bite your tongue and hold a funeral right away, hoping that maybe you're wrong and they'll come back? But what if they do come back? Literal resurrection hasn't been taken all that well, historically and mythologically. I've already told you of some of the people who went seeking the dead, of the dead who came back to us. Like I said, death is complicated. In Jules's case, I don't really know what we're going to do. If we're even going to do anything. She lived topside, in a Savannah-provided house, with family that worked for relocation. I don't know if her family's going to do something. Hell, I don't even know what they do for funerals up there anymore. But we should do something, I feel like. Beyond just finishing this rocket. We're doing this to avoid getting gobbled up by Savannah. And we've already failed to stop that from happening once. I... She's... I... I couldn't... I couldn't... What's the fucking point? <sighs> you were Jules. You were the fucking point. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Dane, I don't think I should be the one doing this. No, you have to. You're the oldest. 
So, just because I've been alive the longest, that makes me the most qualified to deliver a eulogy? Yes, it does. Of the four of us, you've been around to see the most people die. That's grim, Dane. Even for you. Yeah, well, given the circumstances, I think I get to be a little grim. I get it. I'm just saying it feels weird. Or wrong, I guess. Why? Because you hated her? I do not hate Jules. I didn't hate her. Look, I know you're grieving and heartbroken, but I'm not going to let you constantly give me shit over something that isn't even true. We weren't close. That doesn't mean I hated her. And it doesn't mean that I'm not being affected by this, too. Maybe that's true, but as far as being affected goes, I can't construct two sentences without lashing out at someone. Kay can't stop weeping long enough to string three words together, and Armani, though many thought it impossible, has somehow become even more obnoxiously loquacious than... Sorry. That... that wasn't nice. You weren't kidding about the lashing out. I thought it was only going to be at me. No, I was not kidding. And unless you want me to say in front of everyone that despite my better judgment somewhere deep down, I still think you're responsible for Jules' death, then you need to step up to the plate for this one. Sorry. I'm still working through that one. You know, if we hadn't already hashed that out two days ago, that would have hurt a lot more. And you didn't cry once. You're perfect for this. Let's go. <sighs> okay. Fine. Let's do this. Hello. We did the best we could. This should be everything she left behind here. <laughs> Even got her, uh, aquavest. Let's get started. Oh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> okay. I'll be honest, I'm not sure how this kind of thing is supposed to start. What, you didn't prepare anything? Yes, I prepared, Dane. Shut up. I just... I don't know how it starts. It, it starts however you started, Sherry. I... Fine. <clears throat> we are gathered here today. No. That's not right. For a wedding, usually. It works for both. <laughs> We are gathered here today in memory of Jules Montgomery. Jules was a lot of things to us. A co-worker, a partner in crime, a friend. 
And she... She is what brought us all together. We were all just acquaintances before this project, but Jules was the glue that bound us together and made us into something more. She made us into friends. A family, even. And, you know, of course, every family has its problems, but in the end, it sticks together. And in her final moments, Jules did everything she could to protect us. She made a split-second decision that saved us all. And I... I hate that I won't get to thank her for it. I wish that we'd had more time together. I think we all do. But I also think that we should be grateful for the time we did have and look back on it fondly. Uh, yeah, that, that's the gist of what I wanted to say. It, it is? What the fuck, Shuri? What? Was it bad? Yeah. I told you guys I couldn't do this. Look, I knew you weren't going to cry, but for fuck's sake, Shuri, it wouldn't kill you to feel something. This is their funeral. This is probably the only memorial they'll have, and you you just called Jules a co-worker? Are you kidding me? I'm trying! Are you? Shuri, what he means is... No, Armani, I'm saying exactly what I mean. Did you just compile all the most generic phrases said at funerals and just throw them together? Am I really supposed to believe that this is what Jules was to you? A handful of vaguely positive traits. Come on! No, that's not what I meant. But that's what you said! Dane, calm down! You're trying to convince me that you didn't hate her. That her death meant something to you. But this is all you have to say? That isn't fair. You know I... I have a hard Shuri, time... we all know you hide authentic emotion behind an impenetrable mask of professionalism, but if you plan to ever be honest, I think that now would be a good time. You don't have to do anything you don't want to, Shuri. But is that really all you thought of her? Say one genuine thing about her, Shuri. I dare you. You know what? Fine. But remember that you're the ones that asked me to be honest. You're right, Dane. To call me and Jules a family is dishonest. And frankly, it's bullshit. We were like cordial in-laws at best by way of your relationship. In fact, there were a lot of things about Jules that pissed me off. And the biggest one had to be about how completely clueless she was about anything that didn't directly impact her. Shuri! No, Dane. You wanted emotion. You're getting it. Stop me when I tell a lie. I mean, what kind of person comes down here and says that Armani is one of their best friends from university, but doesn't know anything about them? You don't even know what it took for them to get into your cushy topside university. Being sponsored by the very corporation that disbanded your dream job and has taken family and friends away from you? You haven't ever thought about how that must feel, but you think plenty about how they can help you launch a fucking shrine to yourself into the Milky Way or whatever? No, that's not really how it's gonna work. Don't interrupt me with science, Kay. I'm eulogizing. Are you? 
Let me finish. When Jules first came down here, there were so many things about her that put me on edge. But even so, I can't deny that she was magnetic. She was kind. And she was trying. I don't have it in me to coddle someone that is hurting me. No. Fuck being the bigger person. I want to make that person feel at least a fraction of what I feel. Jules always knew how I felt about all of her mistakes and her ignorance. I knew that it hurt her. Because it always hurts to hear that you're a problem. Or that you're causing pain for people you love. And I was not going to pull punches for someone like her. But Jules never lashed out. She almost never got defensive. She always listened. And while it was infuriating to see those doe eyes get all watery any time I set her straight, she'd always come back the next day and... and apologize. And she'd mean it. And she'd grow from it. And she wouldn't make the same mistake twice. And that is something you so rarely find in people. Others get criticized and give up, and not Jules. Jules could look at her flaws face to face and decide to change them. She always so earnestly wanted to be better. And she was getting better. Constantly. So no, I didn't fawn over her. I wasn't in any hurry to befriend someone like her. But I respected her. Fuck, I... I believed in her. I could see the person she was becoming, and I just knew that once she got there, she would be someone great. I kept being hard on her because I... I wanted her to become that person, the one that I would call family. One that I... that I would risk my life to protect. But instead, everything got cut short, and everybody thinks I hated her. I never... I never hated Jules. I was just honest with her. I was just pushing her. I was... I thought I was helping her become the kind of person she wanted to believe she already was. And it's terrifying to me to think that maybe, in the end, she could have thought I hated her. That I hated her. And that I did this to her. I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do that to her. But I can't stop thinking about what I did do, what I could have done, and it's driving me crazy. But I know that everyone else already feels crazy, and it's on me to keep my head straight. It always is, but... I was there. I was in that room with her, and I... I left her there. I left her behind, and now she's gone, all because I didn't do good enough. I didn't make enough escape plans. I didn't scout the area well enough. I didn't think fast enough, and now someone else has been ripped out of all of our lives. I should have just stayed there with her. Jules died protecting me, and I know... It just fucking no, I wouldn't have done the same for her. I left her behind to burn. I should have been with her. I should have... 
There's no reason why she should be gone, but I'm so- Shuri. What? What is it, Dane? Is this not good enough for you? Not emotional enough? That's enough. Because I don't know that I've ever felt this fucking emotional in my Shuri, life! Shuri, stop. Come here. I wasn't gonna cry. No, but you were going to hyperventilate at that rate, so just deep breaths. You can't put that kind of weight on yourself, Shuri. Both the weight of our emotional states and Jules's death. It's too much for any one person to handle. And I don't want you to feel like you can't have feelings for our sake. Or that you can't come to us about them. Yeah, me either. That's ridiculous. What's more ridiculous is you somehow pinning all of this on yourself. Look, I know I've said some fucked up shit to you in this past week, sure. Your family, it makes you an easy target. But gout, this... This is on all of us. Imagine if any of us had done what we were supposed to and just gotten the fucking rocket fuel. Then you wouldn't have had to expand an already dangerous heist for one into a group project. Or what if I just hadn't entertained her idea in the first place? What if I hadn't gotten overexcited at the mention of space and I never brought Jules down here? None of this would have happened then. I think about that all the time. We can't predict the future, Shuri. I mean, not yet. Anyway, we don't blame you for that. And Jules wouldn't either. I know she wouldn't. She's too... soft. (laughs) Yeah. She, uh... She was. Jeez. The aliens are gonna have a field day trying to parse this one out, huh? Yeah. Well, aliens... That's today's dose of humanity for you. Enjoy. (sighs) We really have to finish this rocket, don't we? Yep, we do. And it's gonna be exactly what she wanted. Something to remember her by. Something to remind the universe that she was here. This episode was written by Brad Colebrook, Chandler Harrison, Cole Burkhart, Dee Reese, and Tal Manier, with script editing by Evan Tess Murray. It was directed by Cole Burkhart and sound designed by Nico Goldstein, and features Vico Ortiz as Kay, Kathy Youssef as Armani, John Y. Kamara as Dane, and Sahar Iman as Shuri. The theme music is by Benny James, and the transcript is by Caroline Minks. What Will Be Here is primarily produced in Long Beach, on the stolen land of the Quiche Nation. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, all three engines up and burning, 2, one, zero, and liftoff, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.